Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning service. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., both online and in person. Online, we are uh, on our website, faithonhill.com, with a video live stream. The video is also available on our Facebook page. And then audio versions are available at 1030 a.m. through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hills. If you're uh, listening to us on audio and you haven't subscribed, we'd love it if you did subscribe. If you are watching the video, especially on Facebook, if you give it a like, even a share, that would be awesome. Now, we didn't have a live stream last week because we didn't have normal church last week. It was the first day of the year, and so we, uh, we had breakfast. And we have not yet found a way to make pancakes available online. Uh, so I didn't preach anything last week. I made pancakes. Uh, we're starting the book of Job this week, so we are back online. So excited to have you with us. We're back to normal on Sundays. Got our small groups meeting throughout the week. Looking forward to this time together. Let's talk about the book of Job. Okay, so this week, what we're going to do is a introduction overview of the book of Job. Now, the, the basic story of the book of Job is that there is this guy who lived in ancient times. The book of Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. And this guy who lived in ancient times named Job seemingly from the outside had it all. Had it all. He had possessions. He had wealth. But not only that, because there's plenty of people that have wealth or property and are totally miserable, but he seemed to be pretty happy. His family life was going good. His kids were healthy. His kids seemed to be doing okay. Things seemed to be going good for Job. And then we're told that Satan has a conversation with God. And people kind of overblow this idea that Satan's talking to God. There, there's, in the, in the Gospels, Satan talks to God. When Satan's talking to Jesus, he's talking to God. People get really weird about it happening in Job, and they don't seem to be bothered by some kind of interaction between God and the devil in the Gospels. Be that as it may, Satan has a conversation with God. And Satan, in a lot of ways, and this is telling, by the way, Satan represents the everyman opinion of humanity. Really? Yeah. Satan says this to God, Job only follows you. Job only honors you. Job only keeps your commands. He only gives worship to you because he has it easy. Because he has it easy. He has no sickness. He's not suffering from chronic pain. He has money. He has security. He has good family situations going on. The only reason that Job honors you, follows you, keeps your commands, does what he should, is because you have given him everything and you have not caused his life to be as hard or painful as the average human experience. 
And if you take that all away, he will curse your name. He will abandon your ways. And God says, I will allow you to do whatever you want to Job, but you cannot take his life. And so there's Job just living his life, doing the right things, and he hears that raiders came and took away his livestock, which, you know, in our day, like we have property, real estate, stocks, bonds. They didn't have that back then. Mostly they were nomadic. Uh, they, they, they counted their wealth somewhat in gold. People have always traded gold and gems and such, but mostly it was in livestock. And so if raiders come and take away all of your sheep, goats, any cattle, anything else that you have a value that way, you're left with nothing. And then he hears that a storm came and, it, and destroyed the tents that his children dwelled in. Basically, it would be like hearing an earthquake happened or a tornado happened or a hurricane happened, and now your children are dead. And what's more, through the course of the book, Job himself gets sick. He himself has these horrible, painful sores, what we might think of as like he gets smallpox or something along those lines. He's, he is in a terrible place. And he has three friends, and these three friends come to comfort him. They're trying to understand his suffering and trying to bring what hope and help they can to him. But as they interact with him, they find out that all of the normal reasons that people attribute for human suffering aren't there in Job's life, and that makes them uncomfortable. So then they start to look, there must be a reason. So they start digging and accusing and condemning, because there has to be something that Job did to cause this suffering. Otherwise, that leads to even more uncomfortable possibilities. The idea that Job did nothing wrong and his suffering happened anyway. And Job gives defense against these accusations, but at the end he realizes his issues are not with other people. His issues are with God directly. And God in his grace and mercy speaks with Job, interacts with him. And, and the book ends with Job and God interacting with each other. And Job recognizing that God is so far and vast and beyond him that who is he to question him? And he repents of any wrongs that he might have done in his time of suffering. He reaffirms his faith in God, which he had never lost, but he had a season of struggle, season of doubt, season of uncertainty. And then God begins to work blessings in Job's life again. And that's the basic story of the book of Job. And it makes people uncomfortable. And it has always made people a little bit uncomfortable. Why is that? Well, I've been getting into this for a while. The book of Job, like I said, is possibly the oldest book in the Bible. In fact, there are Hebrew words that are so ancient or primitive in, in terms of Semitic languages that modern translators and even translators 2,000 years ago struggled with it. That 
The book of Job is so old that scholars in Jesus' day or before Jesus had a tough time with the meaning of some of the ancient words. When you think about it, try going back and reading something in the original English that Shakespeare wrote, or go back even further and read something in English, but a few hundred years before Shakespeare. Uh, you know, my wife is an English major, and she's talked to me about how uh, I love Beowulf. I read it a couple of times in school for different classes. She had to read it, though, in Old English. I've read a little bit of Beowulf, just like a page or two in the Old English. Oh, that hurt my head. She had to read the whole thing uh, for her English major. Painful. You wouldn't know what was going on. You wouldn't be able to understand it. And that's the struggle that some of these ancient scholars had with Job being such an ancient book. But they didn't question whether Job really happened or he's a real person. What made them uncomfortable, the really ancient believers, I'm talking about believers hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus appeared. What made them uncomfortable was this. Job is too godly, too pious, too devout, too holy in his life, in his heart, in his actions, to not be one of us. And what do I mean by not one of us? Well, for them, it would have been Jewish. Job, we have no indication, we have no information that he was a descendant of Abraham, that he was part of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, there's indications in the book of Job in the first chapter that indicate that he was not Jewish, he lived elsewhere south of Israel, somewhere in the Arabian Plateau, maybe even as far south as somewhere close to like Yemen or, or uh, Oman, some of these really southern parts of the Arabian Plateau. And that makes people uncomfortable because replace Jewish for church going, right? And what if you come across somebody who really loves God, who seems to be really doing the things that God wants, who seems to be blessed by God, but they're Catholic, and you're Protestant. Or they're Orthodox, and you're Catholic. Or you're both Orthodox, but they're Greek Orthodox, and you're Russian Orthodox. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we have a hard time believing that God can really move through other groups. I, I have friends who are part of really extreme Reformed traditions who really question the salvation of people from really Pentecostal traditions. And I have people from really Pentecostal backgrounds who go, yeah, you might be Christians, but are you really saved if you haven't spoken tongues or given or received prophecy? Is the Spirit of God really working in you? Or are you just a churchgoer? And they, they look at people from like a Presbyterian or, you know, Episcopalian background and go, are you really a believer? And that makes people uncomfortable. And the idea that somebody in a different background, believing in the same God. There's no question that Job believes in the same God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself directly as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God who came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human. Job believed in the same God that we did, or that we do the same God that these ancient believers did. 
but he's not in their faith tradition. There's a difference between somebody who says, I do not believe that Jesus is Lord. A Buddhist, a, uh, you know, somebody in the Shinto faith, a Zoroastrian, the Baha'i faith. And somebody who is a Baptist versus a Catholic versus somebody who's Orthodox versus somebody who's Presbyterian versus somebody who is, you know, non-denominational. And where, where we come to is this idea that what if there's a group that within the, within the faith that I'm uncomfortable with, but God's doing something over there in them or in a person, and that makes me uncomfortable. And that's what it was for really ancient Jewish scribes, scholars, and rabbis. The idea that here is somebody who isn't from the line of Abraham, who loves God, and God is blessing. Not only is God blessing, God is speaking to That's uncomfortable. The other thing that made these ancient believers uncomfortable is that Job loved God and kept his commands more so than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Ooh, that's tricky. Abraham, I don't know if you knew this, he's a pretty big deal if you're Jewish. Abraham took wives he shouldn't have. He was unfaithful to his wife, Sarah. He didn't do a good job with his kids Isaac, same thing. Jacob, even more so. There were problems left and right. But here's Job, seemingly faithful to his wife, good father, doing the right things. The the record that we have is that Job exceeded the righteousness of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That makes people uncomfortable because people have heroes. If you're from certain traditions, you know, if you're a Lutheran, Luther is a big deal. Luther was also racist. If you're a Calvinist, John Calvin is a big deal. Calvin had a lot of issues. If, if you're, you know, Catholic, the Pope's a big deal. The history of the Popes is, is rough. We have these heroes. Even in America, in pop culture Christianity, we have these heroes that we have built up. And yet time and time again, and even more so and increasingly in the last number of years, those heroes have fallen down as we have seen that they are just humans who need a Savior like the rest of us. And that made them uncomfortable. So those are like the really ancient believers' problems. Now the kind of ancient believers, and I'm talking about like uh, both Jewish rabbis and early Christian theologians and scholars wrestling with the book of Job, anywhere from just before Jesus came to a few hundred years after Jesus came. This is the first record of anyone questioning, is Job real? Because the book of Job contains conversations between God and the devil. The book of Job has certain forms and formats in its writing structure that come off as ancient poetry. In fact, a book of the Bible that is explicitly poetic, and also a little bit explicit, is the book The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. And it is very clearly a poetic book meant to convey truth, absolutely, but it is not a literal story. And there are elements of the book of Job, not all of it, but elements of the book of, the jo- of Job that seem like 
an earlier format and a more ancient version of the same concept, the same genre. And so around 300 AD was the first rabbi that we have recorded records of who said, I think the book of Job is all fictional. It's all allegorical. It is all poetic. And that caused a big stir. And then another rabbi thought about it, came along, and he started to write and say, hey, I actually don't think it's all fictional, but I think it's mytho-historical. I think it is embellished history. I think there really was a Job and stuff really happened to him. But some of the stuff with like Satan talking to God and things like that is embellished history. And it makes sense that he could think that way because the Greek culture that was so dominant in the Mediterranean had mytho-history as a common thing. In fact, Homer's Odyssey and Iliad are thought to be highly embellished, highly uh, mythological in, in form and substance, but based in historic truth. That there were these historic battles, historic events, and then, uh, you know, Homer comes along and makes them really, you know, come alive, you know, makes, spices them up. And then, of course, there are those who still believe that Job is literal, Actual historical, there was a Job, this happened to him exactly as we are told. But then you have other problems that come with that, that these kind of, kind of ancient believers wrestled with. Oh, wait a minute. If that's the case, how do we know that? Because we don't know who wrote the book of Job. Was it Moses? Was it Solomon? Was it Abraham? We're not told. We don't know who wrote the book of Job. We don't know exactly when it was written. I tend to be somebody that believes it was older for linguistic reasons, if nothing else. But we don't know exactly when it was written. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know what their intention specifically was. So if we tend to believe in a literal Job and that this literally happened, we still have a whole bunch of uncomfortable questions. And that was where it stood for quite a while. There were these three schools of thought. Uh, there was the people that believed Job was totally allegorical. There's people who believed that Job is semi-historical or it's mytho-history, whatever you want to call it. And then there's people who believe that Job is a literal account of God interacting supernaturally and with the natural. And then kind of recent believers, and what I mean is like theologians ranging from anywhere like 500 to a couple hundred years ago they started to really doubt whether Job was a real historical event with literal people, not because of anything other than this. Job was too supernatural for their tastes and for their times. Job was too supernatural for the moment that they lived in. What's interesting to me about this is that if you read the Gospels, and we just spent a year studying the Gospel of Matthew. When you read the Gospels, Job is actually far less supernatural, far less supernatural than Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Acts of the Apostles. That God seems to be doing more that we're told about in those five books, the four Gospels plus the book of Acts, than in the book of Job. The book of Job starts out very supernatural oriented, but then it's a lot of people just talking to each other. 
It's very human. It's very natural. But those kind of recent believers really, really struggled, really, really struggled with the supernaturalness of Job in a way that, while I think it was inconsistent, was very real for them. And so these are the things that make people uncomfortable. Either Job is too godly, and that challenges how we kind of hold up some of our heroes, or he's not one of us, and that makes us uncomfortable, or he's making us ask uncomfortable questions, or it's too supernatural. These are things that make people uncomfortable about the book of Job. And maybe as I'm saying that, you're kind of going, oh yeah, I know a person who that would be like, or I could see where that would be a struggle for me. Because why does that make people uncomfortable? Well, think about it. Is Job literal, mytho-history, or allegory? And for some people, if it's not literal, that really bothers them because their whole sense of the world, in a world that's complex, in a world that is full of nuance, they just like things that are simple and straightforward. Of course, book Job is history. And Job is referenced by Old Testament and New Testament writers. So the Bible writers are, are referencing Job, and they're saying, hey, we, we believe this guy's real. So what if they were wrong? And, and you could see where that would make people uncomfortable. Or what if it is real? And you have a problem with that. It's easier for you to believe that Job is allegory or at the very least embellished history because then you can pick and choose what you want to listen to from the word of God. But what if it's all very literal? What if it's all very literal? And that has implications into my life or into your life, but we don't want to surrender that part of our lives to God and his will and his plan and his authority. The other thing that's uncomfortable about the book of Job is what if it is all real and God really allowed all that chaos, all that pain, all that suffering? Isn't God the one who's supposed to deliver me from chaos? Isn't God the one that's supposed to heal my wounds? Isn't God the one who brings order to a broken world? And yet, Job's suffering and his pain are allowed by God. That's uncomfortable. And what happens when God doesn't act the way that we expect him to act. Even if it's not on our timeline, like there's this thing, well, I know that God has his time and it's not my time, but in the end, he's going to do what I think he should do. In the end, God's going to, he may not do it today. I would like him to do it today. Maybe I'd, he could do it tomorrow, but maybe he'll wait three months or three years or three decades, but in the end, he'll do what I think he should do. What if he never does? the thing that you think he should do? What if instead he does something different because that's the thing that he knows he must do? And that makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable if God doesn't act the way that we think he should act. And that's actually a lot of what the book of Job deals with. Now, here's the thing. All of the Bible, I believe this. I don't know who this quote came from. I've heard this from multiple sources. I can't attribute it to any person, but it didn't come from me. All of the Bible is equally true, but not all of the Bible is equally clear. Like I said earlier, there are words in Hebrew that are so ancient that even scribes and scholars 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago weren't really sure how to deal with them. 
So there are parts of the book of Job, just like there are parts of the Bible, that might be 100% true, but we are not 100% clear on them. But we can have, I believe this, we can have great confidence, not just in the book of Job, not just in the Bible, because of this. Our faith is based not on the book of Job, and whether it's literal or semi-literal or allegorical, it's not based off of whether every part of the Bible is 100% accurate. Our faith is based on Jesus. If Job is real or if he is fictional, it doesn't change the fact that over 500 eyewitnesses saw somebody that they believed to be Jesus who had been publicly executed, risen from the dead, walking around for over 40 days before he ascended to heaven. It doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost and 2,000 people were saved. It doesn't change the fact that I have seen people healed, that I have seen lives transformed, that God has worked powerfully and supernaturally in my own life. It doesn't change that fact. So whether Job is real, literal, allegorical, personally, I'm just going to tell you this is my opinion. If I had to guess, I tend to think it's real. I tend to think it's literal. And now maybe, by the way, Maybe the author of the book of Job is using a poetic form to convey real history. It's sort of intellectual or historical imperialism or colonialism for us to look back in our modern times. And even in Jesus's time, that would have been doing the same thing. Looking back from our modern times at something very ancient and then saying, you have to conform to our rules of genre and structure for us to accept you as historically literal. And I have no interest in that kind of arrogance. But I have incredible confidence, not because of Job, but because of Jesus. And here's the thing. We're going we're gonna to go through this book over the next several weeks, couple months, and we have an opportunity in choosing faith. We have an opportunity in choosing faith. And here's what I mean by that. I, I am more convinced than ever that the Bible is true, trustworthy, and reliable. A couple years ago, I personally, just for myself, I revisited the subject of how we got the Bible, of how trustworthy is the Bible, how accurate has biblical transmission through translation and copying and all that. How accurate has that been, all of that? And I have a stack of books in my office that I am happy to share with anybody. I've got a couple, you know, that, that time of research. I am, I am more convinced than ever. Anyone who comes up to me, and I've had this happen over the years, people have come up to me and said, oh, you can't trust the Bible. It was, it was written like a couple hundred years after Jesus, and they were, there were all these different stories, and they just compiled the best ones, the ones that were the most like, you know, entertaining or interesting or whatever. Nonsense. Nonsense. But we have a choice right here and right now, as we enter this process of studying the book of Job, will we take what God has placed in his word, which I believe we can trust, and that it is authoritative for the lives of all people? Will we take what God has chosen to include in his word to humanity, and will we submit and surrender ourselves to it even when that makes us uncomfortable?
And let me tell you, the Bible makes everyone uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form. It's a true story. There are certain parts of the Bible that if I were to go into a very traditional church would make them uncomfortable. There are certain parts of the Bible that if I were to go into a very modern church would make them uncomfortable. If I, there are parts of the Bible if I were to go into a very liberal church, it would make them uncomfortable. There are parts of the Bible if I were to go into a very conservative church would make them uncomfortable because the Bible makes me uncomfortable all the time. And we have an opportunity as we study through the book of Job to make a decision in faith to say, I will submit and surrender myself to what God has said in his word to me. I will submit and surrender myself to God's word to me, whether it is literal or allegorical or anything in between, that the principles, the truths, the the big picture ideas that God is putting in place, I'm going to choose to work through and wrestle through and and. And as they are clear, I will submit and surrender to myself to them. Where they are unclear, I will treat them with holy fear and reverence because they are still equally true. I believe unapologetically in the supernatural. I believe that God is still working and still moving and still changing people's lives. And so when we get to the really supernatural parts of the book of Job, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preach it like it's real because I believe that God is really working outside of our natural situation. I believe in the book, parts of the book of Job that are incredibly natural. And I believe that God includes them on purpose. There are moments of doubt. There are moments of discomfort. There are moments of uncertainty. There are moments of very direct conversation between people. Hey, Job, is the reason that God has allowed all this suffering in your life because you were sinning, and then they start listing ways that people don't like talking about? I'm comfortable getting into that awkward mess. And so that's the way we're going to approach the book of Job. We're going to look at it big picture. We're not going to go chapter by chapter uh, so much as big sections. Like next week, we're going to look at chapters one through three, but it's going to be kind of an overview message. It's going to be on you and me to read through the book of Job together as a church family. And I'm going to approach it, generally speaking, as if it's literal with a healthy amount of humility to say that there are people far smarter and who are godly people who love Jesus who have a different opinion than I do. But for general purposes, I'm going to approach it literally and unapologetically. But as we work through it, will we have the humility to surrender ourselves in faith and say, God, what you have spoken, we receive. Where it is clear, we submit to it. Where it is unclear, we pray that you would give us clarity so that we could work through it. And whatever we come to at the end, we trust you through it. And that's no different, whether it's the book of Job or the gospel of John or or anything else. In the end, we have to choose Is the Bible, is the word of God the authority that speaks to our lives? Or do we allow the culture around us to define things? Do we allow church tradition to define things? Do we allow our personal preference to define things? Or do we submit and surrender ourselves to God as he speaks to his people? God is calling to people all over this world. Follow Jesus. 
And that is the complete opposite of how this world wants to run. And as we study the book of Job, there will be things that will call us from going the world's way into going a different way, the way of the kingdom of heaven. And it's up to us to have the humility in our spirits to say, Lord, I will go the way you go. Now, I said a minute ago, it's up to us. But you know what? There are times where I don't have the strength to have that kind of humility. There are times where my pride is in the way. There are times where my, my pre, you know, pre-established opinions, my, my intellect says, no, I will not consider that possibility. And that's where the work of the Holy Spirit is amazing because he, he comes in as we allow him to, as we surrender ourselves. And he starts to say, all right, let's work through this together. So that's the plan for the book of Job. We're going to look at it in an overview sense. We're going to talk about it in the small groups. Uh, If you want more information, small groups at faithonhill.com is the email where you can find out more information. But we're going to talk about it in the small groups. We're going to work through it together. We're going to look at it with this general, like it's, we're generally speaking, going to take it literally with a humility to say, if somebody has a different opinion, we're not going to fight over it. But whatever we come to at the end, we want to submit and surrender ourselves because we believe that God is real. He is working both in the natural and the supernatural. And that his word to people is authoritative for all people and is all that we need to have salvation from our sins and to live a life of godliness and victory in this world as we await Jesus' return. If you have any questions about anything I said, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. If you're like, hey, you know what? I know that basically this, our online audience is this. It seems to be that like half the people who watch the video especially uh, are people who are, uh, they can't make it to church, they they stay at home or they're sick or they're on vacation or or they're working or whatever. And then it seems to be that there's like another 40, 50% that are people who are checking out the church. And we know after COVID that there are a lot of people who stopped going to church after COVID. And there is no guilt being put on you. There's no pressure being put on you. There's just a a friendly, loving invitation. We consider online church to be totally valid, but we also believe that church is a connection of relationships of people who are believers. And so if you're online with us, we'd still invite you to be part of our, our small groups. We have an online small group that meets on Wednesday nights. But if you can, I think there is something that cannot happen other than in person. And as much as I am, I am okay with online, I also believe that the preference, the preferred thing is in person. We worship together. We connect together. We, we, we seek God together. And so however it is that you find yourself watching this, know that I'm happy you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. I pray that God is working in you. But there is an invitation, whether it's through small groups, whether it's through Sunday mornings in person, to be connected with other believers, not out of guilt, not out of fear, not out of compulsion, but out of love. God bless you. May the grace of God be with you. May the Holy Spirit of God be full in your lives this week. Amen.